Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Just like that, the final hour is here for OutKick 360 across the OutKick network. Glad you're with us. Wednesday edition that includes Clay Travis, who will join us in 20 minutes. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. We've been discussing the ongoing topic that is in Tuscaloosa and beyond with SEC Hoops, Alabama, best player in Brandon Miller, and whether or not there should be team discipline for him for bringing the what the weapon that was involved in a capital murder charge against Darius Miles and Michael Davis in Tuscaloosa just a block from campus Greg McElroy earlier this morning down in Birmingham Chad said what former yeah, Alabama so QB this is on uh, our friends at WJOX jocks down in Birmingham on McElroy and Kubelik in the morning Greg McElroy, Alabama star quarterback, former Alabama star quarterback, now a big analyst with ESPN, said in a 16-minute statement to open their show, uh, and I credit an Alabama guy for saying all these things, right? You know, from being able to distance himself enough from the situation, being an Alabama guy to say, you know, what's true. I've been on the radio nine years. I've had to cover some very difficult and uncomfortable stories. This is the worst. It's the worst for a whole bunch of reasons. One, a mother is dead in her early 20s. Two, it involves my school. I'm a proud graduate of the University of Alabama. I have multiple degrees from the university. I think what Nate Oates said yesterday was despicable. Despicable. I can remove my allegiance from what was said yesterday. It's an embarrassment. And this whole situation for all involved is tragic. He is a phenomenal basketball coach. Operative word there, basketball coach. Phenomenal. But what he said yesterday in the press conference was flat-out embarrassing, absolutely uncalled for, completely unsympathetic, and completely ridiculous. That from Greg McElroy, former Alabama quarterback. I agree with everything that he said on Nate Oates' part of it, and it's why Nate Oates ended up uh, releasing a statement last night, you know, clarifying and apologizing for what he said in the press conference. Yeah, and, and saying he, sh- he, was, he used poor words he, he wished he would have used better language in in the way he was trying to express what he meant to say but said nothing to clarify uh, anything about why he felt that way uh regarding not disciplining brandon miller which he says hey we, we've known about this this isn't something new wrong place wrong time uh left out the victim and other things but again it was a, a direct question where he answered about that in nba scouts and how the nba scouts would certainly have to dig and do their due diligence as well but the statement that clarified things today reads, I thought it was important for me to clarify the unfortunate remarks I made earlier. This entire time I've tried to be thoughtful in my words relative to this tragic incident, and my statements came across poorly. We were informed by law enforcement of other student athletes being in the vicinity, and law enforcement has repeatedly told us that no other student athletes were suspects. They were witnesses only. Our understanding is that they have been all fully truthful and cooperative. In no way did I intend to downplay the seriousness of the situation, of the tragedy of that night. My prayers continue to go out to Jamia Harris's family. That from Coach Nate Oates, who 
his team will be in action this evening back in SEC play against South Carolina. Look, and the tragic part about all of this is, and I, and I do believe that Nate Oates did not recruit Darius Miles originally, um, if I've got my timing right on that. But bottom line is, Alabama basketball brought a kid on campus who ultimately killed someone less than a mile from campus, right off of campus. And that's the tragic part of all this, and a, and a mother. So let's keep all of that in mind, regardless of what anyone thinks about it, Alabama fan or not. That is the main story here, that a young woman lost their life in this whole thing, and it's a, a tragic situation. And again, there's not oftentimes you talk about a college sports team and murder in the same sentence, right. and that's what we have here with this Alabama basketball situation. And it's an embarrassment for Alabama basketball. The way Nate Oates has handled it and what he said yesterday, as Greg McElroy stated, is an embarrassment. Well, And... Um, and the, we'll see where it goes from here. I've heard people discuss, like, oh, what? how will Alabama handle this on the court? They've been handling this on the yeah, court. Yeah, they're fine. I, I don't think they're going to be – I said this yesterday. You know, they're, they're not going to be affected by this. They played a game in Nashville against Vandy and looked fine and well, won pretty easily the, the, next, the, the next night. Yeah, they've, they've lost a couple of games since this happened to Oklahoma and Tennessee, but they're still the number one overall seed in the tournament, and they're going to have a great shot to cut down the nets in Houston. We are uh, – very close to the start of the Major League Baseball Excited season. Excited about that. And one of the best from the mound. Bringing the heat for Outkick.com is Kurt Schilling. And he joins us in studio here at 6th and Peabody. And you can catch the Kurt Schilling Baseball Show launching this Friday and every Tuesday and Friday at Outkick.com. Kurt, good to have you in, man. Hope we, things are we well. We searched long and hard for a name for the show. So the creative <laughs> people went to work on that. It thing, works, so. though. I do like you know it. It says it's, exactly what it is, right? Yep, I like a show yep. that tells me exactly what I'm getting, and that's yeah, what it does. And that's what I'm probably best known for, good and bad. You'll get what I think. <laughs> so. Well, I mean, the rules changes are top of mind. Oh. I'm sure you have thoughts on that for Friday's launch. Of the rules changes that we're going to see, which one do you believe helps the game the most? Uh, I don't think any of them help the game. Okay. I really don't. Um, I think the one that's kind of under the radar that's going to have a, I think it's going to have a game-changing impact is the uh, limited pickoff throws. Because I imagine, it's a stall tactic. Well, but imagine Ricky Henderson at first base <laughs> being told, okay, the pitcher can no longer pick off throw. He has to step off, disengage the mound to throw. I mean, like, Take off. Skills yeah. are up. Well, what, you, what you end up doing as a base runner is you get what's called a one-way lead. When when runners aren't going, good runners, they'll take a very long lead because they're always going back, so they're not going to get caught. You'll have runners after that second pickoff throw, and you'll have runners pushing the envelope to get those throws. And it's it, I just think it could end up being something that delays the game because now I can't make that third pickoff throw, so I'm going to step off the mound. Well, the pitch clock starts again. I got another twenty seconds. You know, those kind of it's gonna it's gonna be interesting. And I, I I don't really honestly believe that any of them. The shift teams are just gonna bring the opposite outfielder in as a fifth infielder. The opposite outfielder. You know, if you're shifting to the right from a left-handed pull hitter, yeah. Yeah. you bring the left fielder in because hitters have proven they won't try and hit against the shift. But you might start seeing some hitters actually do that if an outfielder vacates a position to come in and play the infield. There are always loopholes to even rules adjustments, right? That's well, and, the, and that's that's you. You find you as a good manager, you find your personnel's strengths and you play to them, right? And so when you have a, a, as a, a David Ortiz is a great example. David probably hits fifteen to twenty points higher if the shift's illegal in his career, I think, because he hit into the shift all the time. And I always just said, 
if you take one game and bunt four times down the third baseline, they'll stop. You know, but that just doesn't happen. And and you know, I, I, a guy that jumps to mind for you, now you're talking about versatility, right? If you've got a guy who in the outfield can play an infield position, he becomes a little bit more valuable on a, on a limited. A guy like Dalton Varsho who went to Toronto can play all three outfield positions and catch and play around the infield. He becomes kind of like a, a, an NBA six man in a sense where he's incredibly valuable for his ability to move around the field. Kurt Schilling in studio with us on Outkick 360. So I, I heard or saw someone said the new bases look like huge pizza boxes out on the field. Um, most people would hear this say, why would you large the bases? It's a safety issue is what they're going for, right? What, what do you make of this? Well, Kurt? if you wanted a safety issue, you'd do what uh, fast pitch softball does and you put an alternative base in foul territory that the runner uses and the, the, the hitter doesn't or the, the first yeah. baseman doesn't. My problem is that when the game was made, it's, it's mathematically perfect. The infield is mathematically perfect. 90 feet appears to be the, the, the space needed for 300 to be a Hall of Fame average. 60 feet, 6 inches, home plate to the mound. You know, if it's 60 feet, batting averages are, are drastically different. You give somebody 6 inches on a fastball at 95, it changes everything. Um, I don't know that that really I, – I don't think – I mean, you're talking about 6-foot – Average six foot guys, 200 pounds, athletes. I don't know that that's even going to make any difference other than it's going to change. Think about it. What does everybody say? Game of inches. Inches matter on a baseball field. And so, I, you know, that might have something. I just think it's going to look stupid, but I mean, it might have something to do. Uh, I don't know how that's going to change the game if it will at all. So, if you're playing today, are you playing for the Mets based on the money? being uh, shelled out right now by their ownership. And is that – it's obviously good for players, you know, driving up the market, driving up the price, but is it ultimately good for the game? Um, well, I, I, I mean, the, the problem is, I think what you meant to say at the end there, is it ultimately good for the business? Yeah. Right? This is that's, a ten, that's a good, ten, good point. $10 billion your business, right? It's, players are not loyal when they leave for a contract, but teams are apparently okay when they cut a guy for a contract. Um. As a player, my owner's not going to pay me money he doesn't have. That's the way I always looked at it. Um, they could solve all of the revenue issues if they pooled their money and split evenly. They won't do that, right? I mean, we told I was a player rep for, for many, many years. And in the 94 work stoppage, I was in negotiations. These are 30-some very greedy billionaires, which is fine. And, and you know, like anything else, you made the investment. Hey, you do what you want to do, but you better be ready for – the ramifications of not of, of Peter Angelos destroying a, a once proud Baltimore franchise um, for no other reason. He just didn't feel like he. It's not like he didn't have the money. He didn't want to spend it, and you know that uh, a great fan base has been disenfranchised in Baltimore because of it. Now they're coming back though, which is kind of nice to see. How much easier do you believe it would be for you on the mound today compared <laughs> to when you pitched? Well, listen, I swore on a stack of Bibles I would not be that guy when I retired. I wouldn't be the guy like saying, oh, my God, if we made this kind of money when we played, because the money is, is in the stratosphere now. Um, the game is different. Uh, the problem is pitchers aren't brought up like I was brought up anymore. You know, everybody wants to get on the pitchers for I, – I, it's hard for me to watch when a, pitching, a starting pitcher tips his cap coming off the mound in the sixth inning. Like, that's embarrassing to me. 
Um, but I was raised differently. I threw, I had almost 200 innings in the minor leagues in multiple seasons. I had almost 600 innings in the minor leagues before I got to the big leagues. Um, they're raised differently now. When you put five, six, seven million dollars into a draft pick, it's not about his future. It's about this kid needs to get to the big leagues for our return on our investment. So they protect them. They have pitch count. And, and you know, the, the, uh, the fine line between sabermetrics and old school baseball is, is straddled by very few guys. Teams are one way or the other. Most of them have gone very sabermetric oriented, which I think Tampa Bay learned a couple of years ago is going to lose you a World Series when, when they took um, a Snell out in the seventh inning of a World Series game that they would have won. Um, but at the same time, I don't think I've ever seen as much young talent in the game as there is right now. It's insane. I mean, it, it, the Padres. Are you kidding me with that lineup? The Padres and Dodgers. And by the way, J, the, Padre, the Dodgers signed J.D. Martinez to be their DH. This is a 30, 40 home run guy that nobody's talking about in the middle of a monster. There's going to be some, some monster, monster lineups. And, and, and I still believe Mike Trout's the best player anybody alive will ever see. Um, hopefully he stays healthy. Otani, no one's ever seen what he's doing. Nobody. And it's special. I mean, he's not just the ace of the staff. He's the best hitter on the team next to Trout, who's a Hall of Famer. Uh, he's, he's a guy that's going to bust the $50 million barrier, I think, annually. It's a shame they're playing where they are. Well, but, but is it? They're in California. Isn't that a big market? I would think, but right. I, I mean, but it's so it's so second place the Dodgers. It, as you know, it in is. that market, I mean, it's a distant fourth almost. To but the you Dodgers. go back to 2002 when they were in the World Series. It was packed. It was a great city. Cities yeah. become baseball cities when the teams win. Period. I don't know how you have those two guys. Where Kurt Schilling said the best player alive that I'm going to see alive is in Anaheim, and I don't watch him play. And I, the I, most I just, unique play. Yeah, and that's it. Right. That's this is Vladimir Guerrero in Montreal. Yeah. Right? It's sad that you had to see Vladimir Guerrero's Hall of Fame speech and highlights to understand, oh my God, he was a Hall of Fame player. Um, Anaheim it, is that market, right? It, yeah, and, you, and you've yep. seen it also, Kurt. I mean, you know, in Boston, obviously a huge market, huge baseball town always. Uh, in Philly, big baseball market, big market and those in general. Markets, but those markets travel, too. But Arizona, right? right. I mean, you talk well, about if you win, they'll come. I mean, that's right. a very young franchise. You win a World Series there, so... You've seen it firsthand that when you start winning, anywhere can become a baseball well, team. Well, I think uh, speaking of, of Arizona, you know, Florida's another one. I believe the both Florida franchises are doomed. I, I, I mean, I know I hear Tampa talking about this. And the problem is, and it's always been this way, people in the Florida and Arizona markets aren't born and raised in Arizona and Florida. They're transplants. People move to Arizona and move to Florida from Chicago, from Boston, from New England, all the warm other states, and they bring their teams with them. Both states have spring training for all the clubs, so you don't have a homegrown Tampa Bay Ray, which is why I think Nashville would be an awesome place for the Marlins or the Rays to land. I think Vegas is going to end up with one of the franchises, but I think both those franchises need to go someplace else if they want to survive long-term and move up the pay scale ladder and get competitive. So when you were on ESPN, I thought you were the best at baseball Thank analysis you. while you were there. How much fun is it now for you to have this forum to talk about baseball uh, twice a week during the season, spring training, without kick, and be able to really get back to that and talking about exactly what you want to discuss within the game? Um, so uh, Gary Schreiber is the guy that, that, that got me uh, hooked onto this, and he's, I've been kind of using him. I, I'm, I know 
like most sports fans, I think I know everything about everything, and I'm way smarter than the head coach on, on Monday morning when I'm quarterbacking decisions. Um, but baseball is the one thing I think I know as well as anybody alive. Uh, I've spent my life since I was four in it. Um, I've gotten the distance between the game and I is something I didn't expect to have happen after I retired. And it's become, for a lot of different reasons, it's become bigger than I wanted. But it's the one thing I think I know. It's the one I know I can teach. Um, I know I can and talk. I think one of my strengths as a, as a color guy on, on baseball was I could explain things that fans would understand. Fans don't want to hear that, that Otani's got a 2.2 ERA on the road. They want to hear about the discussion on the mound. What are the, what's actually being said? Yeah. And, and you know, nine times Stories. out of ten, it has nothing to do with baseball. I mean, listen, Scott Rowland in the Hall of Fame, my favorite Scott Rowland story is the fact that in old Joe Robbie Stadium where the Miami Dolphins were playing, on an off day, off night, Scott Rowland was hanging off the upper deck by one arm and almost died. That's my favorite, one of my favorite Scott Rowland stories. Um, and now I can't wait to hear this right, story well, no. on, on the Kurt Schilling baseball show. We, yes, yeah, we, it, yeah. short, short version of it, in 98, end of the season, we had a hurricane. And so they canceled the first two games of the series. So I bought $5,000 for the paintball gear and a barbecue grill and steaks and took like 15 guys to Joe Robbie because the stadium's not going to blow down. And we spent the night there playing paintball. <laughs> and, and he almost died. And it was, uh, it was tragic and awesome at the same time. So, yeah. He's hanging out to avoid your paintball shot? No. Paul Bird surprised him in the upper deck. <laughs> and he fell and rolled off the top deck and was literally hanging off the top deck of Joe Robbie Stadium by, by one arm. Best manager playing the game within the game. The mound visits, the, the uh, strategy. That the, I'll tell you what. Okay. The guy that I played for that I think is the best game manager I've ever been around is Buck Showalter. I never saw him outmaneuvered as a manager. The matchup might not have worked, but he always had the right guy at the plate or the right guy on the mound when the game mattered the most. Um, and I think his, early in his career, he, he got, like everybody else, he got a reputation that followed him that really wasn't true. Uh, Terry Francona, um, best people manager by a wide margin. Ego, uh, ego-wise, you mean like no managing just, the player, just managing the people. You cared about Terry, and and I always say, when I played for guys, I played the game one way, and I played for a lot of managers, but I felt differently when I played the game and did something successful for a guy I cared about. Right, Tito's opinion of me mattered. So, or and Johnny Padres, like my pitching coach, my first pitching coach, the guy who made my career, when he would tell me, "Hey, you threw the ball, you threw the hell out of the ball," tonight, like that was like. Oh my God, like that was earth shattering to me. You wanted their approval. Guy, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So you work when you work for people and work with people you care about, you you take things differently away from the game. And Tito was a guy that could get you to buy all in. And you were game. you were getting praise for going six, like you're saying. You or, or nine. I wasn't ta- I was taught to go nine. Yeah. That's twenty seven outs. Those are your outs. And you know, one of the things I learned, John uh, so many things I learned from Johnny, um, I'm being paid ten, thirteen, fifteen million dollars. I'm not being paid to pitch, I'm being paid to win. That's a very different mindset. A lot of guys are, hey, it's cool. I'm making a lot of money. I, I got a pitch. I was, I, I hated losing so much that I swore to myself I would do whatever I could between a loss and the next start to never have it happen again. Mm-hmm. And so the game consumed me when I played. Toughest out right now would be Trout, right? If you say he's the best player that um, I'm going to see live. No. So, 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 uh, I can't, I just forgot his name. The kid that the, uh, uh, Minnesota, I think Minnesota traded him, the, the guy, the contact hitter who doesn't ever strike out. Uh, I can't remember his name. 
guys that don't strike out were my pro- I, if because I watch video. So and I had hitters tell me, you know, guys in our lineup are psyched out before the game starts because they know you've watched them hit more than they watch themselves hit. If you strike out a hundred times, Aaron Judge, great example, great hitter, you know, MVP and all that stuff. If you strike out 120 times, I'm going to find your holes and I'm going to throw my ball, my fastball there, and there's nothing you can do about it. He's going to hate you, right? Yeah. Well, and, and that was why. So, so, so guys like Tony Gwynn and Ichiro when I played, um, Billy Miller, guys that put the bat I couldn't make them swing and miss they were problems for me so you know that was where I went I, I transitioned to becoming my own defensive coach in a sense where I positioned my fielders and 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 you know I remember Luis Gonzalez in Arizona I told him I, hey I want you to play way in here this on this guy in this way Tony Gwynn I want you to play in and I brought my center Steve Finley over to left center and he said what if he hits it over my head I said that's my fault if I throw a pitch he hits over your head then that's on me but I'm going to throw the fastball down and away. He's going to hit a line drive to left, and I need you to be in this spot when he does it. And and so you know, and that was I. That was why when I lost, I took it personal. And and a lot of guys didn't want to put that investment into it because then it be, they became accountable. If I do all the preparation and I've done everything I can do to go out there and win, and leave nothing to chance, and if I lose, it's my fault. Well, it is, and that's how it works. Yeah, I think the assumption would be if you've made it to the top of your sport, you know, you hate to lose. That you're a competitor. Yeah. But I think it's evolved over the years. But, you know, when you were playing even, Kurt, did you, did you come across guys that you just couldn't understand? And you're probably more of an exception, but that you couldn't understand, like, hey, why are you not more angry that we've oh, lost seven straight? Listen. Or whatever's going on with yeah. season? And to some guys, for me, to, as a position player, I think that was a strength. Scott Rowland just wanted to show up and play and go home. And he showed up and played like Hall of Fame caliber third baseman and went home. And uh, um, I remember guys like J.D. Drew. The knock on J.D. Drew was always, this guy doesn't care. He went to Philadelphia uh, uh, or, or to Boston, and the fans were mad because he just didn't seem to care as much as they did. Well, no, that's just who he is. He wants to go hunting, and he can't wait to get his next tag. Uh, but in the meantime, he'll go two for four and have a 370 on base percentage and do all the things. But they, you spend so much energy getting mad at a guy who doesn't get as emotional as you. And some, a lot of guys, for JD, that was his strength. There are other guys who they lie about it. They'll, they, you know, oh, well, you know, I was over four, so what? You know, and you know, like everybody, nobody, the guys that tried to make it seem like baseball or the sport was, hey, this is not who I am. It doesn't define me. I'm way smarter and bigger and better. Than, well, you know what? Bullshit. The fact of the matter is when you're during your career, it does define you. Afterwards, be whatever you want. But when you're a player, you're a player, and that's what you're known as. No BS with the, the Kurt Schilling baseball show. That's for sure. That's coming up uh, Friday, the launch of it, outkick.com. Every Tuesday and Friday is when it will drop. We're excited about this. Thank we, you. We it's, love the name of it. We said this yesterday when we saw this. We're baseball guys, yeah. so we'll be watching for sure. This is exciting. Well, I'm excited to be a part of this team. This is a group of people that I think we're trying to grow something here yeah. and, and, and become, you know, dare I say it, become a bar stool, uh, but focused on uh, things that I think not, we're, we're tailoring ourselves to the crowd that actually shows up at the game, right? I, I think for a sure. lot of sports are trying to, to do things to get a crowd of people to like them that don't actually buy tickets and come. And I think OutKick is, to me, is focused on the stories that matter, that, 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 that 
everybody's talking about and and to sports actual fans sports fans. It's it's not it's, to a mob, right? Yeah, and, yeah. and and we're okay taking on the the why didn't these guys wear the gay pride jersey or why are they having the you know this night at whatever? We're all right talking about that because I think at the end of the day we don't take our work home with us. Just like we, I, I don't take my sports and never have taken them home with me. Check it out uh, this Friday and. Uh, Really looking forward to it. Hopefully, Thank we you. can do this more often. Absolutely, as we dive into uh, once the season gets going. Uh, speaking of Malky, we got Clay Travis coming up next. Uh, so I heard him. I know he's, we'll, we'll, he has something to do with this. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah, <laughs> Kurt, good, thanks for coming in. Thanks, man. guys. We appreciate, appreciate it. it. Thanks, Kurt. Kurt Schilling care. has been our guest. Clay Travis next on Outkick Three Hundred and Sixty. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer. With over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros, Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back. And their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. Alabama AD Greg Byrne, in a clip that was played on Feinbaum, says that Brandon Miller is in South Carolina and, quote, we expect him to play this evening, end quote. We've been, they've been playing him since January 15th. They've known about this. NATO told us that uh, yesterday. Uh, continuing other takeaways from Greg Byrne's first public comments. He says that the school found out, quote, new facts yesterday. Says the deadly shooting occurred just seconds after Brandon arrived. And he says that Coach Nate Oates did not handle his comments yesterday as he should have, and that's been addressed. Clay Travis joins us from Outkick.com, and we'll be definitely discussing this throughout the, the chat today. Clay, uh, what do you make of the way Alabama has handled this? I think it's shameful, disgraceful, and indefensible, um, and also par for the course for SEC sports, where Schools know that literally no matter what their star athletes do, fans will defend them. Um, and that's where adults have to step in and do the job and be stewards of the university and make the right choice for the university, even if it upsets fan bases. And Alabama didn't do that. Um, and whether it's Nate Oates, whether it is Greg Byrne, the athletic director, I'm not sure who the president of the University of Alabama is, uh, but it's a huge black eye for the university as a whole uh, to allow this guy, Brandon Miller, to continue to represent the school 
given that he delivered a murder weapon that was used to kill a mom off just off campus. Um, and <laughs> the standard is, uh, you know, uh, getting a text that you need to deliver a, a loaded handgun to uh, one of your teammates is um, is not enough to get a player to no longer be able to represent the school, then I think the standard for basically, you know, Nick Saban could be Jeffrey Dahmer and Alabama fans would be fine with it. Clay, how do you, you're, you're a lawyer. So how do you handle lawyer statements, right? The attorney for Brandon Miller released a statement recently. And basically their claim now is that he had no knowledge. The gun was in the car, that it was hidden underneath some clothing in the back seat, and he was just simply driving to go pick up his buddy, and then his buddy went in there and got the gun out of the back seat and then shot someone with it. Um, how do you, in, just in general, well, as an attorney, handle all, those statements? Specifically, first of all, specifically, Brandon Miller was texted that Darius Miles needed his gun and needed him to bring it to uh, bring it to him. So at one thirty-eight. AM, I believe I tweeted out a a screenshot of that text message. So you have to argue that he didn't know that, um, that that text message ever arrived, um, in order to believe that he didn't know. Also, do we really believe that somebody has a loaded handgun in your car and you have no idea it's there? No, I don't. Um, I just, I mean, Yes, right. So the lawyer's job is to be an advocate for his client. So when you are a criminal defense lawyer, and I've been a criminal defense lawyer before, you look at all of the evidence in question, all of the facts that are involved, known, uh, that are out there, and you try to craft the best possible defense for your client. That's literally your job. So I don't get too worked up one way or the other about what lawyers say because that's the job of a lawyer in the adversarial system. I mean, I've represented people charged and convicted with murder. Uh, I've represented people who were uh, charged with dealing drugs. I've represented people who were charged with domestic assault. Like that is the job of an advocate in the criminal justice system. So, um, you know, that is not a surprise to me at all that a player who will one day theoretically be a multimillionaire would have aggressive legal representation trying to defend him and keep him from being charged with accessory to a crime <laughs> that would cost him potentially tens of millions of dollars. So I don't get worked up one way or the other about that. I mean, both sides have advocates. Um, and the job of a reasonably intelligent person is to consider both the sides of the argument that are made and then to analyze what is likely to be truth and what is likely to be fiction. Um, and, uh, and so that's basically what juries uh, are you know, hired to do, right? That's what juries do in our criminal justice system. So um, I think a lot of people use whatever lawyer defense is put out there as some sort of gospel truth, when in reality it is a slanted version that is designed to protect the uh, the client. 
So Alabama has released, uh, Alabama Athletics has released a statement, so many statements with this over the last 24 hours. I'll read in part. Today's statement from Brandon's lawyer adds additional context that the university has considered as part of its review of the facts. Based on all of the facts we have gathered, Brandon remains an active member of our team. Clay, they're, they're acting as if they learned about this yesterday when Nate Oates clearly explained uh, that they knew about this from the jump. Um, but now they're pointing to new facts. If there's new facts, I don't understand why they didn't get to this yesterday instead of just saying, yeah, we've known about this guy's nothing to see here. And oh, by the way, he's been playing since January 15th as well. Well, first of all, if you don't know all the facts of this story, it's a willful blindness, right? We're not talking about New York City or Chicago right. or LA, some major city where there is a huge apparatus that is surrounding uh, the, uh, uh, the you know, criminal charges or something like that. This is Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and these are athletes that are involved in a murder. They are going to get every bit of information that they need if they want it, right? The Tuscaloosa Sheriff's Department is not hiding information from the University of Alabama if they pursue it. Uh, Hutton, you have been in Nashville for a long time. Yes. What do the Tennessee Titans in a much bigger city of Nashville know any time that a Titans player is involved in a criminal-related incident? How much information, based on your experience, do the Titans get about all of those incidents? Uh, based on experience, they get a head start. That's what they get. They get they a head start on the information. everything. Yeah. Before the media knows, they are they are tipped off. They are aware that so and so may be getting charged with a crime. There may have been an incident long before it hits the paper. They know everything about it. I think what happened here was Alabama was hoping that this information would not come out till after the NCAA tournament, and that they would then be able to say, "Oh, we had no idea about any of this." I think there is no doubt that Brandon Miller is being treated differently than if this were a walk-on player. I think they would have kicked the walk-on player to the curb under the same facts immediately. Um, you know, again, I think the University of Alabama should be ashamed of itself. Um, and, you know, the clear standard here is we don't care that one of our star players delivered a murder weapon that was used to kill a mom. Uh, we're going to play him because it makes it more likely that we're going to win a basketball game. Um, and we know that Alabama fans will line up. And look, I'll, I'll give you a preview. When Brandon Miller gets introduced whenever the next Alabama home basketball game is, it's going to be like Jesus himself suddenly returned to Bryant Denny, whatever the basketball <laughs> arena is called. Coleman Coliseum. They're going to stand <laughs> Yeah, Coleman Coliseum. Drop seven. They are going to stand and cheer like Jesus himself just def descended from the heavens and alighted at midcourt uh, for Brandon Miller. And again, this is what fans do. And this is why adults have to make adult decisions. Remember, Ray Rice got a standing ovation at the Baltimore Ravens' first training camp practice after he knocked out his fiance. Uh, people specifically chose to wear Ray Rice jerseys to practice, to honor and support Ray Rice. I mean, heck, uh, Ray Lewis has got a statue outside of Baltimore Ravens Stadium, and he was charged with double murder in an Atlanta homicide 
that is still unsolved. No one has ever uh, been convicted of the double stabbing death murder there. So, uh, you know, fans are capable of willful blindness when talented players represent their, uh, their school. And everyone else in the country is looking down on Alabama uh, fans. Uh, but most other fan bases in the country, many of them at least, if they had a star player in the same situation and they felt like they could keep him eligible, would do everything to try to do that. Fan bases. Most universities recognize that any individual athlete is a tiny percentage of the overall brand associational value of the University of Alabama. And so understand that they have a larger responsibility to the university as a whole um, than simply trying to keep fans, most of whom never will attend the university, happy. Well, and Clay, like stuff happens on college campuses and, you know, things happen with teams and all this, but we're talking about murder here, right? It's just so extreme. And Nate Oates' response to it has been so poor. Yet Alabama, a night after all this breaks, just comes to Nashville and systematically beats Vandy in a ho-hum game and continues to roll along and win games this season. It has not affected them at all up to this point. So how does this affect Nate Oates in terms of how we view him and his career now moving forward? Because he's clearly a guy that's just going to keep winning at Alabama or wherever else he ends up. Is this just a little footnote at the end of it? Or is this always something that's going to come up when you talk about Nate Oates' career? Well, I think it's going to make it hard for him to leave Alabama, honestly, uh, because I think a lot of other fan bases are going to remember this story and it's going to tar and feather Nate Oates as a result. So I, I think, yeah, a lot of other schools will look at this and say uh, that they consider him to be toxic. Um, and so he won't be able to go elsewhere. Clay, could you see a potential for a civil suit in this against Miller? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think there'll certainly be a civil lawsuit. I'm not sure if you guys can still hear me, we got but um, I, yeah, I think 100%. I mean, I would be stunned if uh, the woman who was murdered, if they don't file a wrongful death lawsuit naming all sorts of people as defendants, including Brandon Miller, uh, the Alabama player who brought the gun to the murder scene. Um, and so, uh, you know, uh, he'll be named. Certainly the shooters will be named. I mean, look, in a wrongful death lawsuit, what you are trying to do is find the person with the deepest possible pockets. And so that is under which you are acting. And so in that respect, um, it's kind of a, uh, it's kind of a no brainer. Um, and for, I mean, unfortunately she's got a, I believe a five-year-old son who doesn't have a mom anymore. And so I don't know what that situation, who's raising that child now. Uh, but the estate of this woman who was murdered, I would be stunned if they don't bring a wrongful death suit, um, related to this murder. The mushroom cloud continues, and we'll see him on the court tonight, according to their AD, Greg Byrne. Uh, Clay, appreciate you, man, and always look forward to this each week. No worries. Appreciate it, man. Yep. See ya. Clay Travis there.
earlier, Kurt Schilling, Kurt Schilling Baseball Show, drops on Friday at OutKick.com, every Tuesday and Friday on OutKick. A lot of OutKick flavor on today's show. That's right. That's right. Coming up, Chad, how much do you think your phone is worth? It's an iPhone 7. This phone? Yeah. It is a 7S. Let me get that right. Right? It's a, it is a 7S. Okay. Yes. Thank you for pointing that out. Uh, well, we've no, talked about this Too on the show. often people won't point out the fact that it is well, a 7S. I, yeah. Well, this Not just back. a 7. Thank you. I, we were telling the story. Chad has an I, I thought it was an iPhone 6. He clarified for me in Arizona. He goes, no, this is an iPhone 7. In fact. May I say one thing about Arizona, fact, too, with this, phone, with this phone? Yeah. Every time we you know, go to a restaurant, or we out, like, you put your phone out on the table. Yes. And I felt the need to clarify why my phone is so old, because I would get some weird looks about it. And I'm thinking... I know it's an old phone. I'm trying to hold out as long as I can. It's sort of a bit now yeah. on the show that I'm going to hold out and never get a new one until this one just stops working I, altogether. I want to know what the value would be for the longest working iPhone. Uh, you've got some competition, though, because the original iPhone, well, it, it sold recently at auction. The price tag's next on Outkick 360. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. The results are in, Chad, and well, the fans didn't pour to watch the pour in to watch the NBA All Star. You mean they weren't drawn in by draft? No LeBron one was picked James last. bringing the crown on in yeah, slow motion. No one was picked last, so no one was insulted. Yeah, uh, four million viewers. Four million. The uh, as Colin told us, the lowest ever rate, lowest rated ever. All-Star game. Lowest rated All-Star game ever. Let me try that a third time. To compare that, the reboot of Night Court on NBC back in January had 7.5 million viewers. (laughs) Now, it's averaging 6.1 million through the run of the show. That is the most watched new network comedy in four years is Night Court. Four and a half million, though, for the NBA All-Star game. People would rather watch Harry Stone's daughter as the judge than they want to watch LeBron James, the king, in an All-Star game. That's what we learned. It's rough. Yeah, figure it out. No one was watching the dunk contest either. No, that used to be the thing I would actually watch yeah. was NBA All-Star Saturday, Saturday night. night. Yeah. was like the three-point shootout and everything. Yep. It was fun when you get into your adult years. You know, it's usually a very cold weekend. It's like a good time to have a few buddies over and have a few pops. And watch NBA Saturday night. A few pops. Yeah, there's no... Uh, I love how like, you get into your adult years and you have a few pops. So, suddenly I live in prohibition times. <laughs> you know, yeah, me and, me and the fellows were having a few pops while watching NBA Saturday night. I like watching sporting events with absolutely zero stakes yeah. at times. Unless because you, so many times I'm watching like a team. If I'm watching a team I care about, there's personal stakes for me. So it's fun to watch something that literally has no stakes to anyone involved, like a dunk competition or a three-point shootout. That's at, at times. I mean, that's a nice changeup. Yes, Chad. Normally, I like stakes. Chad will not be but changing I, up his phone anytime soon. At no, least I, no, hope I not. will not. I, he doesn't need to get rid of this. The iPhone Seven S is the oldest phone that I come across on a daily basis. I even have the old 
screen. Yeah, so it's very similar though to the original iPhone on your screen. I'm going to show saying. the old screen, the screensaver. It's like the, so people see that and they really laugh. Is. Like you yeah. didn't even change <laughs> from the one that the store gave you. I'm like no. So a woman sold an original iPhone from 2007. It was still factory sealed. Sold it for $63,000 at auction. How brilliant of this woman well, to do so this. Well, so it worked out perfectly based on her job at the time. So she had a contract with Verizon, and at the time, the iPhone was only offered through AT&T. And this was a gift. Someone had gifted this to her. Um, her name was Karen Green. And, yeah, she was gifted this. She put it away in a drawer. I guess she was cleaning out something, found it, sold it. 2007, 16 years ago, and she had just scored a new management job at PetSmart. That's where she was working. Now she gets sixty-three grand for this uh, original iPhone. Look at the screen on this thing. The, the, some of the the apps are similar, but not. I remember like the old Notepad app. See, I, the, I didn't get an iPhone until like iPhone, probably this one. Yeah, was I the first either. iPhone I, actually. See, got. I had the BlackBerry for a couple of years before I went all iPhone. I never had a BlackBerry. I remember in two thousand seven. If we think back to the phones that we owned then. I probably had right around that time like a really tiny like sprint phone. It wasn't a flip phone, but it was like remember, one yeah. that, you know, it was like really small. Yes. I feel like remember the Razor also was a big yes. deal? That I remember my buddy ago, got a Razor and he back? was just he, he was to? the one that bends now? Well, you know that's a different, but it was like it's a razor. You know, it's like it's he it was a flip phone. <laughs> But it was a, just it was a razor thin phone. <laughs> yes, and uh, you know my buddy Jim Brown. Yes. not Hall of Fame running yep. back Jim Brown, but the Italian. He'd always look and say, "Yeah, now he lives in Italy, believe it or not." But he would just pull out his phone and go <laughs> razor <laughs> constantly. He would he would taunt us with it and say, "Look at this razor." Now he's taunting from his his. He, view the ads really sold Tuscany. him on it at the time, but uh, yeah, now it's the fact that he's Italian. But yeah, I I didn't get an iPhone until 2014, maybe. 2015 is when I made the switch. I still think this needs to be Evie's first phone whenever you decide that it's time for her first phone. I think Evie's first phone will not feature any apps. Oh, okay. Uh, By by then, your phone's going to be so outdated, it's not going to happen. Yeah, kids get phones younger and younger. I don't don't even want to think about giving her a phone (laughs) right now, but the first one she gets will have no access to social media on it, would be my guess. That's my desire. Okay. I don't want people with uh, any ability to contact my daughter until she's 18. <laughs> I know that's probably far-fetched. You know, she's going to have gonna an Instagram tough. account when she's 12, like a lot of other kids, but I, I don't want that. Fun show today. Our, our thanks to Aaron Torres for joining us, Kurt Schilling, Clay Travis. We are back at it tomorrow. Jam-packed show as well. Uh, Trey Wallace will join us, Armando Salguero, and more. We start at 3 o'clock Eastern each and every weekday right here across the Outkick Network. Thanks for joining us for Outkick 360.